listening to sermons from South Point McDonough, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God, to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpoint.org. favorite movie is, it, it would probably be a real bummer, and it wouldn't do justice to the story if you watched the entire thing, but then with about five or ten minutes left to go in the movie, you were like, okay, I get the idea. I think we can turn it off now. For, for many of you, the last five or ten minutes, and for almost any movie, the last five or ten minutes can really make the movie. My favorite movie is actually The Notebook, and the, the band was intrigued I don't appreciate um, the laughter either. <laughs> uh, but the band was intrigued to hear that. <clears throat> I think my second favorite is V for Vendetta, and third favorite is probably Dumb and Dumber. So that tells you who I am. <laughs> Many of you are not surprised. It explains a lot. But without the last five minutes of each one of those movies, you wouldn't, it wouldn't make sense you wouldn't get the completion of that story. David mentioned this morning uh, during practice, he mentioned the movie Rudy. Maybe for some of you, you're like, yeah, if we just had, if we lost those last few minutes, it would make a whole lot of sense. And maybe you're like us. We, we, me and my wife, we, uh, we I don't want to say we, yeah, we, we hate movies that end with no completion. You know, and you see the character riding off. It's like, whoa, 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 what happens? Does he go to jail forever? Is she saved? It, like, what happens? I mean, like, spiritually saved, like, in Jesus. But, like, because I always watch like, Christian movies. But, uh, like, what, what happens in the end? And this whole ambiguity, ambiguous ending is just like, what is happening with this? Anybody hate those movies? I do. I want some closure. I want some finale. I want, okay, I want to wrap it up. I don't want to leave it to my own imagination. This, look at all these possibilities. No, no, no. Tell me how it ends. And so this morning, as we finish the book of Luke, we've been in Luke. Today will be the 47th sermon that we've uh, preached going through the book of Luke, going back to last year. We see here in this last chapter, these last 53 verses, everything is closed up and there's a bow put on the end. And maybe you know this if you've been in church for any period of time, but God the Father spoke the world into existence thousands of years ago. He designed man and woman to be in perfect relationship with him for all time. But he also gave us the ability to sin. He gave us the ability to choose evil. And that's what Adam and Eve did. As a result, all of humanity is then damned into hell, separation from God because of man's choice. So we see all throughout the Old Testament, several thousand years we see God still saying, man, I really want you to be my people. That's why I created you, was to be my people to accomplish my plan and my purposes. So he instituted the sacrificial system so that people would understand his holiness, our sinfulness, our need for an eternal savior. So every single year there's this sacrifice, an animal sacrifice, blood that was shed. It smelled terrible. It looked terrible. It was nasty, disgusting, representing our sin, representing the wrath of God that we deserved on us. The whole while looking forward to an eternal, perfect atonement, Lamb, Messiah, Jesus Christ. Well, eventually Jesus Christ comes. 
And we've seen all throughout the book of Luke that the most religious of folks hated Jesus. They're the ones who wanted him dead. Because they were still messed up from the fall back in Genesis 3. They didn't want to admit that they were messed up to the point of needing God to step down into humanity and offer himself on their behalf. And before we move too quickly away from that, like, what were they thinking? Of course they needed Jesus. How often do we, oh, you know what, Jesus, I know that you say you're better, that you're all satisfying, that you forgive, but I think I'd rather pay for this myself. I think I'd rather pursue this myself. I think I'd rather try to accomplish my goals, build my kingdom rather than yours. So Jesus comes, he's born to a virgin. He fulfills every prophecy of the Old Testament that was spoken about him. He lives perfectly for 33 and a half years. He lives as a human. He's fully God, fully man. We call that a hypostatic union. It's really hard to explain. It's like, well, could God have done, could he have done this? Like, I don't know. He was fully God. Yeah, but he was also fully man. I don't know. Like, there's, there's a lot of uh, craziness, like just in the person of Jesus. We, we can't wrap our minds around that. He lives perfectly. He gets to the end of his life. He bears the wrath of the Father on the cross. He dies for our sin. He takes the wrath on himself. His blood is shed. His body is, is tortured. His skin is ripped off of his bones. And then he's placed in the ground. He's 100% dead. The Romans verified it. His followers verified it. There was no argument. He was placed into the ground, dead as he could be. So then we get to Luke chapter 24. So imagine for a second, as we step into this chapter, that you know this Old Testament part. You're familiar with the story, but it just doesn't always make sense. For us, we're looking back, we're like, how could they not have known that? How could they have missed it? But as we just read through chapter 24, you notice over and over and over and over, the angels Jesus, they keep saying the words, remember, think back, look back. Their issue is not one of being unintelligent. The issue is one that their eyes were blinded. And so my hope and my prayer this morning is that our eyes would be opened to the beauty of Christ. The beauty of the raised Christ, not just Jesus Christ on the cross. And there's something beautiful and special about that. But it's even, the, the reason the cross is beautiful is because Jesus Christ raised from the dead three days later. That's why we have hope. So I want us to see six promises here in chapter 24. As we walk through this passage, Caleb already read it. I'm not going to read the whole thing again. But we see six promises that the resurrection provides for us this morning. Six things that I want us to walk away with. The first one is this is that if Jesus stayed on the cross when your sin was on him, beloved, he will not leave you now. He will not leave you now. Notice it begins there in verse number one. It says, on the first day of the week. And as we finish chapter 23, we saw that Jesus was taken down by Joseph of Arimathea. Him and Nicodemus, we see in other gospel accounts, they placed him into the tomb. They took spices and they covered him up because they were not expecting Jesus Christ to rise back from the dead. So they go here on the first day of the week. This would be Sunday morning. So Saturday would have been their Sabbath, their normal day of worship. 
It's at this point for the rest of church history, which is why we're here this morning, we celebrate Christ's resurrection on Sundays because that's the day that he rose from the dead. Before that, it was Saturday. Now, because of Christ's resurrection, we gather on Sundays. But think for a moment, as these ladies are walking toward the tomb, what must they have been thinking or feeling as they're walking toward the tomb? Again, they don't have the rest of Luke 24. All they have are chapters 1 through 23. All they have is the Old Testament. As they're walking toward the tomb, they are not expecting to see angels, a resurrected Christ. They're expecting to see the dead body of Jesus. What sorrow and grief must have filled them to know that one of their good friends, Jesus, had been defeated. That all hope is lost. Just feel the weight of that for a moment. Man, he had such a promising future. He was such a good communicator. He had such spot-on miracles. He had these one-line zingers and questions for all of the religious Pharisees, and now he's dead. We're never going to see the kingdom of God realized. They're not expecting a resurrection because they're bringing spices to the tomb. That's how we know. And so the spices were there. They probably didn't know that Joseph of Arimathea had already taken several pounds of spices and covered Jesus' body. The spices were there to overwhelm the odor, the aroma of decay. We mentioned that last week. So they're there coming to the tomb thinking, okay, we couldn't do it on the Sabbath. We didn't know Joseph did it on Friday night already. So they're there bringing spices to cover his body. What they're not bringing is Jesus' paraphernalia. If they had thought for, for real that Jesus was going to show up, he's going to be out of the tomb. Hey, remember this, guys? They would have had their Jesus t-shirts on, their Jesus ball caps, their Jesus mugs, maybe some Chick-fil-A sandwich bags for Jesus to sign because they're the most Christian food that you can get. They would have said, here's my Jesus paraphernalia. Can you sign this? We can't wait for you to come out of the dead. Instead, they're bringing spices. And before we think, man, these ladies, what is wrong with them? Remember, they didn't grow up with Easter cantatas like we did. <laughs> Remember those back in the day? Some of you are like, what's that? You can Google it. It was a real dark time in the church's history. Um, it's called like the 80s. Um, so they didn't, they didn't have Easter baskets. They didn't have Easter egg hunts. They didn't have this constant celebration of the resurrected Christ. And so put yourself in those shoes for a minute. When life seems that it may be as bad as it can get, when it may seem impossible to carry on, the way that these ladies felt, it can be nearly impossible to remember the promises of God. It can be impossible for us to cling on to the promises of God. Anybody there? Anybody been there this past week? At some point in 2022? When life is at its darkest, it can be impossible to remember and that's why over and over we see here, the angel says, remember what he said. Jesus says, remember, I already told you this. And friend, the resurrection is the receipt, is the verification of the power of Christ. And so unless we think that Jesus is too far or we think that our sin is too much, we simply look back at the resurrection. That's the receipt. Yes, what he said is true. Our sin has been defeated. We receive forgiveness. We can receive new life. He is what he says he is. He can do what he promises that he can do. 
Look over at 1 Corinthians 15. Go there with me if you want to. I'll be there for just a second. But 1 Corinthians 15, this is Paul writing to the church, the church there in Corinth. He's writing all about the resurrection of Christ. I really just wanted to read this whole chapter, uh, but we just got through reading a whole chapter of the Bible, and we can't read too much Bible. So uh, I looked at some of, these, some of these verses, but if you look at 1 Corinthians 15, the whole chapter is it's just banging. But if you look at verse number three, it says, for I delivered to you, this is Paul speaking, of first importance, what I also received, that what, what's first importance, the most important, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. In accordance with what? With the Old Testament scriptures. If you go on look at verse number 14. And if Christ has not been raised. You're like, whoa, whoa. If he hasn't been raised, this is the perspective of those ladies there going to the tomb. This is the perspective of the disciples who were in anguish, who were in sorrow, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. Without the resurrection, nothing else matters. But we have the resurrection. He did it all. He says, it's done. Look at verse number 19. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people to be pitied. If this is all we have right here is what we see, if this is the, the hope that Jesus offers is a better life, Man, that really stinks for you. Verse 21, for as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. Which man is he talking about there? Who's the first man? Adam, yeah. Verse 22, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Verse 26, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. If we keep going, the next page. Verse number 45, thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Jesus is here to fulfill all things. Verse number 46, the first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second is from where? From heaven. He was a man, fully God, fully man. Verse number 49, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of of the man of heaven. There's our promise. Because of what? The resurrection. Paul says this in verse 54. When the perishable puts on the imperishable. Remember Christ is now up from the dead. He had perished. But when he put on imperishable, here's our hope. And the mortal puts on immortality. Then shall come to pass the saying that is written. Verse 55, death is swallowed up in victory. How often do we read the Bible? Death is swallowed up in victory. Well, thank you, Jesus. We are just so happy about that. But death is swallowed up in victory. We have nothing else to fear. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But, verse 57, thanks be to God. We were hopeless. We had nothing to expect to the table except for sorrow, except for hopelessness, except for grief, except for our sin. But Jesus Christ rose again, who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The resurrection is the receipt of our victory in him. Amen. So when we look at the resurrection of Jesus, there is so much packed in that. 
23andMe, anybody here ever done that, the DNA? You know, look back at your history, here's what you're made up of. What, I did it a couple years ago. Uh, and when I look at the 23andMe results, I can see where my DNA came from, from over here, part of Europe and part of South America and part of this and part of that. And it can also show me based on some, some general analysis of folks with similar DNA, maybe what some proclivities I might have towards certain diseases or um, certain problems or just those different things. It tells all these different things about me. It's really interesting. I can connect with relatives on there, and I've got, you know, dozens, probably hundreds of relatives that I can connect to, and some of them are weird enough to shoot me messages, and they're like, hey, I saw that we were related. I'm like, okay, I'm blocking you. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't trust you, you know, um, unless you're like a prince of Nigeria or something. Let me know. Uh, but I'm just kidding. I don't fall for that stuff either. Uh, one thing that 23andMe doesn't tell me from all the stats it has, it does not tell me what my percentage is. It doesn't tell me. You want to know why? Because I know that my chances of death are 100%. It doesn't have to tell me. Well, you may, you may be able to skirt around. You may be able to scooch around it this way. If you do this, if you eat the right stuff, if you exercise enough, if you get vaccinated, get vaccinated. No, my chances, no matter what I do, 100% Dad, it's verified. It's going to happen because of Adam. But the good news that we saw here in verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, death is the sting of death is like a honeybee. So a honeybee can only sting you one time. As soon as there can only sting anybody one time, it can only sting one time. As soon as a honeybee stings, a stinger gets lodged in whoever is stinging, and then it begins dying really quickly. The good news, friends is that Jesus bore the sting of death for us so that when death comes for you, when it comes for me, we do not have to experience the sting of death anymore because we simply look back to Jesus Christ on the cross and we don't have to be worried about, are we going to die absolutely? But there is no more fear in death. We are being transferred from this life to glory, from this life to the next. There is no sting of death. It's going to happen, but there is nothing to fear. And if we don't have to fear death, what else is there to fear in this life? Still stuff, right? But here's the good news of the resurrection of Jesus, friends. Here's the question I have for you. Why didn't God the Father raise Jesus back to life on Friday night? I mean... You're like, well, Sunday just kind of makes sense to worship, you know, God. And is that really a good answer? Because <laughs> some of y'all thought that. I did. I was like, well, that makes sense. Friday would be just as good as Sunday getting together and worshiping. Except for football season, you know. I think the reason he did that. Because the darkness was even darker on Saturday. Jesus was absolutely gone from this world. He was no more. His life was no more. And so, friend, when you were in the throes of fear, of anxiety, of depression, of being overwhelmed, of being broke, of being sad, of being grieved, of loss, of being abandoned, we know that Sunday is coming. And we know that Jesus is right there with you in the darkness. And the longer the darkness goes, the closer is the dawn. Wherever you are this morning, 
It may feel like Saturday to you. You may be in the darkness of Saturday. But Sunday's coming. There is hope. And it may not be in this life. But we have hope because Christ rose from the dead. And we get to spend eternity with him. So remember Jesus. Look to Jesus. When you feel abandoned, when you feel fear, the resurrection shows that Jesus has forgotten you. You may think that everybody else has. You may think that your spouse has, that your kids, that your parents, that your neighbors, that everybody else has forgotten you. The resurrection is your receipt that even though you may feel like it's Saturday, Jesus Christ has not forgotten you. He will never abandon you. In his weakest moment, he did not abandon you. We see secondly, picking him in verse number 13, that often we prefer the instant solution, but Jesus would have us know him. Jesus would have us know him. We're a culture of instant gratification. We want immediate satisfaction, everything right now. Everything's at our fingertips. You ever have a conversation with somebody, you're like, man, what's that? Who's that person? Who's that? What's that actor? What's that movie? Who's that? Where's that? It's in your pocket, man. Just pull it out. It's called Google. Like, we've got it. Stop having these conversations, you know? Like, everything is right there. We have instant gratification everything. But notice how Jesus reacts. So we pick up verse number 13. That very day, this is Sunday morning, two of them, talking about two of the followers of Christ, they knew some of the story. We see here that they knew it. They were going to a village named Emmaus. Everybody say Emmaus. Yeah, so we see that it's about seven miles away from Jerusalem, and they had probably gone into Jerusalem for the Passover celebration for this atonement feast. They're going back to Emmaus, about an hour and a half walk. If You've got a pretty brisk pace. Uh, and notice, and as they were talking to each other about all these things that happened, verse 15, and when they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself drew near and with them. If it were me, if you, uh, maybe you're more spiritual than me, but if I had just come back from the dead, you know what I'd be doing? Letting everybody know about it. I'd be holding a press conference. Um, at that point, I'd probably be able to fly, you know, so I'd be doing that. I'd be doing some really awesome things, making sure that everybody knew, I'm back from the dead. <laughs> I'd be flying over to Pilate's house, hey, <laughs> you know, to the Roman centurions, got you. But what does Jesus do? He walks down the road with a couple of no-name folks. Because he cares about people way more than he cares about himself. And if we see there, 16, verse 17, verse 16, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. They didn't even know who he was. Verse 17, notice here. Notice their attitude, even when they see Jesus. And he said to them, <laughs> this is Jesus talking. This whole thing is comical to me. I think when Jesus came back from the dead, he's like, all right, I've, I've been storing, I got some good jokes for y'all. This is going to be good. I'm going to get you. What is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? Jesus, risen Christ, creator of the world, asked these guys, hey, what are y'all talking about? And they stood still looking sad. They were looking sad. Because when the women went to the tomb and they came back and said, Jesus is not here. The angel says he is risen. What did they do? If you look back up, I, I can't find it now. Verse 11, but these words seemed to them like an idle tale, and they did not believe them. 
They, did, they still didn't believe these women. Nah, it's still too good to be true. They're still sad. They're still here in depression. And sometimes, friend, no matter how dark it is, you don't realize how close the comfort is. The comforter can be standing there looking you in the face. <laughs> we don't even recognize it. The true source of all joy is standing right here with these men, and they don't see, these men, these men, these men, and they don't see him. They're looking Jesus in the eye, and they don't recognize him. Notice what they say, verse eighteen. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him. I got to imagine Luke's writing this. He's got to be chuckling. He answered him. So Cleopas says to Jesus, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? So Cleopas says, man, you haven't heard about Jesus being crucified? You haven't heard about this great prophet, teacher, rabbi being put up on the cross between these two criminals? Are you the only person who doesn't know about this? Cleopas says, where in the world have you been, bro? This is one of those, when we get to heaven, I imagine when we're like, Cleopas, you're known in the Bible as the guy who asked Jesus if he knows about the resurrection, I mean, about the crucifixion. <laughs> like, how would you like to be that guy? You asked Jesus if he had heard about the crucifixion. That's rough. But Jesus stays there. He's like, man, I can't wait for heaven. <laughs> I don't know what Cleopas' problem was, but. Verse 19, <laughs> Jesus said to them, uh, what things? Like, what are you talking about? And they said to him, Jesus of Nazareth, the man who was a, a prophet mighty indeed and before God and all the people and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yeah, they were hoping that he was going to be the one who was going to come in as a mighty king and bring them power victory and freedom and authority over the Romans. He said, man, we were hoping for that. And we've seen that all throughout the Old Testament. We've seen it all throughout the book of Luke. That's the king, the Messiah that they were hoping for. Instead, they get Jesus who sacrificed his life. Instead of a Jesus who came in and made all of their dreams come true, they get the God-man who comes in and says, my kingdom is not one of success, but one of sacrifice. Yeah, yeah, we're not like them at all. <laughs> These folks are crazy, man. Verse number 25. And Jesus said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. He says, O foolish ones. He doesn't say, man, y'all are so ignorant. He doesn't say, man, what's y'all's IQ? Or is that double digits? Like, what are we talking about? What's wrong with y'all? That word foolish is not one to say, these guys don't really have it all together intellectually. Really what he's saying is, this is a moral judgment. The issue is not physical, biological. It's not mental. The issue is spiritual. They did not have spiritual eyes to see this. Verse 26, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Don't you know the Old Testament scripture? 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. I think he went back here to Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 15. He said there's going to be a serpent that's going to come in, but one day there's going to be a serpent crusher who's going to crush the head of the snake. 
I think he, then he went, to, he went to Moses and said, we have this guy who's going to be delivering his people up out of Israel. He goes to the Pharaoh. He says, let my people go. He, we have this promise to Abraham, this promise to David. We have these different covenants all throughout the Old Testament. They were looking for a king, but we have this king of kings. There's this sacrificial system, but he came to fulfill that. He goes back and he looks at all these different parts of the Old Testament that Jesus Christ had come to fulfill. At that point, what are these guys thinking? The point is Christ. The point is Jesus. But notice, friends, Jesus didn't say, hey, it's okay, guys. It's okay. There's hope. He says, I would rather that you know Christ than anything else. I'm okay if you stay in your sadness and in your sorrow. I'm not coming bringing a solution to get you out of your sadness, out of your depression, out of your sorrow, out of your anxiety. He says, even in the midst of that, I want you to look to Christ. Because Jesus could have come in and said, nope, everything's better. I'm alive. Jesus' point was not to bring an instant solution. Jesus' point was not to eliminate sorrow. But it's for his people to know him. So he says, look to Christ. The third thing that we see here, if you pick up in verse number 28, we see that the risen Jesus longs for us to fellowship in his presence. He longs for us to fellowship in his presence. Again, this is, I think, the humor of Christ. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. They still know it's Jesus. He acted as if he were going farther. Now, why did Jesus do that? Again, the creator of the world, he knows the past, the current, the future. He acts as if he's going further. Why did he do that? I, I think some of that, and we don't, Luke doesn't tell us, but if I can maybe pontificate for just a moment or <laughs> elaborate, I, I think Jesus really wants them to want him. I think he wants to know their heart. And I think he wants their heart to be here on the pages of Scripture. Do they desire Jesus? Or, hey, man, thanks for the story. He asks as if he's going further, verse number 29, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So this is that, that night, Sunday night, and he went in to stay with them. Verse 30, pay attention to the language here that we see. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Where else do we see that phrase? The Last Supper, yeah, where else? Anybody? Feeding of the 5,000. Hey, that's for free. I don't know if it relates to this, but that's what Jesus did. But it's at that point, notice verse 31, and their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. So it's immediately, he breaks it. Hey, look, I'm gonna bless this. All of a sudden they're like, he's like, yep, boop, he's gone. Immediately he vanished. And they're like, wait, what? But if we see there, the, the verb there, and their eyes were opened. Who opened their eyes? They opened their eyes, right? It says they opened their eyes because they had the power and the intellect and the ability. No. And their eyes were opened. Passive voice. It had to come from within. The spirit had to pierce their hearts and their souls and say, this is Jesus Christ. Verse 32, and they said to each other, man, Doggone it, Jesus, you got us. You're so good. Did not our hearts burn within us while, we, while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? 
Notice the point of Jesus teaching the scriptures was not so that their heart would burn. Because there's a lot of things that can make our heart burn. I've had Mexican food like four times this week. The goal with looking at the scriptures and experiencing the presence of Jesus is not for your heart to burn. A lot of things can make your heart burn. But if you open the scriptures and if you spend time with Christ and something is not happening internally, if something is not happening in your soul, friend, you may not understand the power and the presence of Christ because he's going to transform your heart and spending time with him is a deep, intimate relationship. But we cannot rely on emotion alone. But emotion is part of our experience with Christ. The goal is Christ. The byproduct is having your heart burn for him. The old hymn, which, you know, old hymns are always right in their theology because they're called hymns. I'm just kidding. But you know the old hymn, He Lives? Da do, da do, da do, do, he's in my heart today. Da do, da do, da do, do, I feel like I'm riding a horse. You know that song? But then you get to the chorus and it says, He lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. So far, so good. He lives, he lives, nation to impart. If you had like one of those old guys, you know, and their arm, like T Rex arms, they were just like, you know, throw it up there like that. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you are Son of the Baptist. Or Methodist. <laughs> you ask me how I know he lives. And then they jump to that high F right here. They would go, he lives. Who's going to hold it out there with me? You know, it's like nobody. We hate this song. It's so hokey. Within my heart. Is that how we know that Jesus lives? Because he lives within my heart. If the extent of the veracity of the truthfulness of Christ's resurrection is a feeling that you have, it's because you know that he's alive in your heart. Friends, you are in contrast, in contradiction with the word of God. The way that we know that Jesus Christ is alive is because we have the receipt of his resurrection, because we have the Old Testament scriptures, because we have the New Testament stories and scriptures right here in front of us. Not the intensity of our feelings or emotions. Notice, I'm not saying disregard them. I started by saying these are good, but make sure they are lining up with scripture. Make sure it is by the presence of of Jesus, because Jesus here is concerned that we would know him personally, intimately. The risen Christ wants us to have his presence more than anything else, and he exposes that in the scriptures. The fourth promise that we have here, beginning verse number 36, is that on your worst day, you can have peace because of the resurrection. You can have peace. Now, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. The Hebrew word would be shalom, peace, well-being. Everything is right in the world. Now, who are the folks that he's saying peace to? His disciples, his followers who have just betrayed him, who have lied to him, lied about him, who have abandoned him, turned their back on him, who have doubted him. In the midst of that despair and that sorrow, what does Jesus say to them? 
peace. He doesn't say, I told you so. What's wrong with you? He says, peace. Peace to you. Verse 37, and they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. Literally, that word means ghost. Which if you're in my life group, you know, I really like the term Holy Ghost, you know, as opposed to Holy Spirit. There's just something really cool about it. A little Pentecostal. They saw what they thought was a ghost, 38. And he said to them, why are you troubled? <laughs> why do doubts arise in your hearts? Remember, I told you I was going to come back from the dead. Tear down this temple, I'll rebuild it in three days. See my hands and my feet. What is the source of peace? What's the verification of peace? Jesus is physically, bodily raised from the dead. Not just a ghost, not just a spirit. But because of the resurrection, we can have peace. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them the hands and the feet. And while they still disbelieved, you're like, ah, oh, they were doubting. What were they disbelieving for? What's the next word? For joy. And they marveled. They were like, I can't. In other words, man, it's too good to be true. This is amazing. They were marveling. And he said to them, yo, I haven't had anything to eat since like Thursday night. And that was just some bread and some wine. And so now I am famished. Do y'all have anything to eat? This has got to be the worst meal that Jesus ever had in his life. Because if you had just come and you had just fulfilled the whole Old Testament, and all of a sudden now pork is an option for you to eat for dinner, and they give you broiled fish, you're like, man, can I not have some bacon, some sausage? Uh, can I have some ribs? Can I have something? I want some pork. I just finished the Old Testament. I'm here in the flesh. Here's some broiled fish. Thanks, guys. I guess I'll prove to you that I'm risen because I'll eat some broiled fish. But that's what they give them. Friends, a ghost cannot eat. But Jesus does because he came back physically and bodily. The fifth promise that we see here, if we look at these next, beginning verse number 44, we see that the good news is our greatest is that our greatest need has been met with Christ's presence. So often I, we used to watch Law and Order religiously. It's crazy. And it was always fun, like within the first couple minutes, we'd be like, okay, that, that's, the, that's the killer. <laughs> that's, the, that's the thief. That's the murderer. You know, whatever it was. You see all these things throughout the Old Testament pointing to Jesus. But it's those last few minutes where everything comes together. Notice what Jesus does. And then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you. Again, remember that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, this is me. And then verse 46. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And we look over 1 Corinthians 15. Jesus says, the scriptures are all about me. We have the first man, Adam. I'm the true and the better Adam, the God-man. Adam, the first man, brought sin into the world, but I have atoned for the sin of the world. In Adam, you have fallen, but in me, in Christ, you can be saved. With Adam, there is only condemnation, but in Jesus, there is salvation. In Adam, we have sin nature, but in Christ, we can have a new nature. With, Jesus, with Adam, we are born into sin as sinners, but in Christ, friend, you can be born again as a saint. Adam, the first man, yielded to Satan, 
But Jesus Christ has defeated Satan. In the garden, Adam turned from the Father. But in the garden, Jesus, the God-man, turned to the Father. Adam, in the garden, he was naked and unashamed. But Jesus Christ, on the cross, he was stripped naked and he bore our shame. The first sin took place at a tree, and Jesus bore our sin upon the tree. So that when we look at all of the scriptures, we can say, man, I'm longing for something. And Jesus says, it's me. I am your hope. I am the true and better Adam. When you look at the Old Testament, you see this picture of a priest, this intercessor between God and man. And Jesus comes in and says, I'm the better priest. I'm going to make atonement for the past, for the present. Friend, today he is sitting at the right hand of the Father as the perfect priest, intercessing for you and for me to the Father, saying, this is mine, he's mine. I've paid the penalty for that person. He's the true and better prophet. He doesn't just come and say, here's the word of God, but he came as the word of God. He's the true and better king, not just to rule in this world, but he's the king of all kings. He's going to reign forever. He's the true and better shepherd who gives his life for the sheep. He's the true and better sacrifice. He doesn't just sacrifice animals and, and bless it, but he sacrifices himself. He becomes the perfect atonement lamb. We see here that he's not just, he, he doesn't come as just the, the temple. He doesn't come into the temple, into the tabernacle, but he comes down and he tabernacles among his people. He brings his presence down. He says, I want to be with you. All of the Old Testament, all of human history is pointing to Jesus. And even this morning, he would say to us, remember, and he tells his disciples here, he says, you are my witnesses the good news is that we get to experience the presence of Christ. He is better than anything else that this world has to offer. Jesus Christ is better. Lastly, we see in verse number 50. He says, then he led them out as far as Bethany. So just over the hill, lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And when he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. We see here, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. Literally, he was lifted up. How did Christ come? Initially, as a baby. He was weak, humble, in a manger. He was wrapped in swaddling cloths. But here we have the contrast. He came humbly as a servant, and here he is glorified. In the Shekinah glory, the presence of God. And notice what the disciples did. They worshiped. Literally, the word there means to kiss his feet. Because Jesus didn't come for those who were good to deserve him, those who were powerful. Jesus came for those who were weak. Jesus came for those who recognized their need of a Savior. Kiss the feet of our Lord. The, the end of Luke here is simply the beginning of the church. That's why Jesus says here, be my witnesses. If you look at Acts chapter 1, he, he says this is a, uh, the second part of, of uh, Luke's story of Luke's gospel. This is kind of Luke part 2. But we see here in, in Acts chapter 1, as he's writing, you actually see in verse number 1, 
In the first book, O Theophilus, I dealt with all this. So he's writing again to Theophilus. But look at verse number six. He says, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Again, these folks are like, man, we're, we can't wait to be powerful. We can't wait to have our thrones. When are you going to do that? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but, and here's the great commission. All the other gospels, they talk about this great commission. Acts 1a, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Take what you know about who I am and what I have done and tell everybody about it. The end of Luke is simply the beginning of the church. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. Again, this is just a retelling of the end of Luke right there. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And not just like a, you know, um, a cirrus cloud or a, um, I don't know what you call those things, like a cumulus cloud. Is that a cloud? Okay, deal. Somebody's shaking their head yes. I don't know if they know or not. But, uh, but this is the Shekinah glory cloud of the Father. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. Sounds real familiar, right? These two men standing there. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? What's wrong with y'all? Y'all still don't get it? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way that you saw him go into heaven. We don't, we don't just get to celebrate the resurrection and say, look back, look back. Here's the receipt of our faith. But our faith has us point and look toward the second coming of Christ because he is coming in Shekinah, in glory. He's coming back, back for us, his people those who have faith in him. So this morning, we get to celebrate that. We get to celebrate the resurrection. We get to look back. We're in this already not yet state. We're in this place of longing and waiting and looking forward. We know what Christ has done, but man, I just can't wait for the presence of sin to be obliterated. I can't wait for the power of sin to be dealt with. I can't wait to be free from feeling the penalty of my sin. So we get to look back at what Christ has done. We get to look around at brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters who have been redeemed, who have been saved. We get to look forward to Christ's second coming. If you actually, if you look back at verse number, I think 35 it is. I think this is interesting. Verse number 35 of Luke 24. Right there in the middle of the chapter. Then he told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Friends, I think one of the greatest means of grace that we have today in 2022 is the breaking of the bread. Because Jesus says, remember me. And not just remember with your minds, but remember with your souls. Remember that I've entered in, I have tabernacled with you. And your greatest need, which is the presence of God, has been met in Jesus Christ. So as we break this bread and as we dip it in the juice... May we experience the presence of Christ together as his people. Looking forward to the day when we will experience his presence with physical, resurrected bodies. This represents the broken body of Christ and the shed blood. This meal is for those who have placed their faith in Christ and in him alone. And even now, I would invite you, as we partake, to repent of sin, to remember Christ, and to rejoice that he is coming again. Let's partake together.